everyone. My name is Mark Vina, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all tech topics that are smart home, home automation, home security, and console gaming related. Today is Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. The uh, subject of today's podcast is a recap and analysis of yesterday's big Apple announcement. They uh, announced a bunch of new Apple watches yesterday, new, iPad, uh, new iPads. Uh, sadly, uh, no new iPhones, but the rumor is that that will be coming along in October, so we'll certainly be back to report on that. Uh, in today's podcast, I'm joined by uh, an individual who has joined me before for many, many podcasts and, and discussions on consumer tech, and that's Rob Pegarero. Uh, hello. Who, uh, hello, Rob. How are you? Good. You know, I, I can repeat your credentials, but you'll do a much better job than I will. So why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about um, the publications that you've written for? All right. So lately, you might have seen my byline in uh, USA Today, where I do a sort of tech support column, which is basically explaining 5G in a different form every uh, you know month or so. Uh, Fast Company, where I've actually also been writing a lot about 5G. Uh, Wirecutter, the New York Times Review site, where we're now once again updating the Guide to Smartphone Plans. It's a lot of math. It's going to get me in trouble at some point. Uh, I did a long piece for O'Reilly Media, the technical textbook publisher, about uh, COVID-19 exposure notification and contact tracing apps. And I'm probably forgetting a client or two, but that's about the lay of the land. So you've been busy this summer. You, have not, you haven't been exactly uh, comatose. <laughs> no, you know, I would have thought I would have had more time to work on the garden. On the other hand, it is mosquito season in, on the East Coast. So it's not, you know, totally great to <laughs> leave the house. Well, and your Redskins have started off well. I, you know, we have Washington to... football team, and I've said they should have. Oh, I forget. I, 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 I said the nasty word. I said the Redskins. I'm sorry. Washington about team colon football because they would have sold so many WTF t-shirts. <laughs> oh boy, that's a separate podcast in itself. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, big announcement yesterday. I'm sure you watched the um, that that uh, Hollywood like production, which, you know, frankly, we should talk about that for a second is that their productions are so slick. And, uh, you know, as I, uh, you know, I live in San Jose, maybe three miles away from the, uh, the, the spaceship campus. And of course, all of this content was pre-recorded, but it was really, and this is not the yeah. first time it was done like this, but a tremendously um, flashy, I, you know, from a, from a special effects standpoint with the zooming of cameras, right? The drone-like shots, you know, throughout the, um, the campus. What was your overall uh, impression of the event? Yeah, no, I mean, Apple's always been good at advertising. And what they've done is essentially taken their keynotes that you used to have in these live events that I vaguely remember going to, and that you'd have at the Worldwide Developers Conference, and, and just said, well, if we can't have the audience full of invited guests clapping and cheering, what else can we do to jazz it up? So it's lots of, you know, really slick transitions and cuts. So Tim Cook will, will throw to someone who appears to be in the Steve Jobs Theater at the other corner of the campus. And then you go back to somebody in some lab and, you know, really giving you a sense of, right, there are all of these people at Apple inside this huge spaceship, which you can easily see from a plane on the way into SFO, <laughs> that are hard at work, you know, finding the next great thing for you to spend a lot of money on. Right. You know, and honestly, and I want to get to the, 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 the subjects at hand here, um, is the, I, I'm very, very impressed with the events, but, and I've been to many of their live events, WWDC and, and, uh, and other Apple events. And I, I have to say, and you probably say it because, you know, you're, you're a technology journalist. I get a little bit tired of the kind of the, the cheerleading. It's almost like a rock concert. 
you know, and, yeah. and you have to be in the audience to really get a, a palatable sense of how that kind of craziness is really, um, it, it's very, very tangible. But sometimes you'll hear the crowd, you know, the Apple fanboy, so to speak, they'll cheer, they'll take the most in, um, uh, obscure feature and, and make it sound like it was reinventing, uh, you know, uh, a nuclear reactor. Like for, for example, I remember one event where um, it was when I introduced dark mode, you know, yes. into the operating system. And okay, let me understand this now. The operating system is now going to be intelligent enough to know that it's six o'clock at night in a particular part of the country. The sun is probably down, and it's going to have to adjust the um, the uh, level of brightness on the screen. Now, don't get me wrong; that's a, a nice feature, but I'm not sure it, it's a game changer. But you had to be in the audience yes. to make like it was the greatest. Yeah. Thing of all time. and of course, the pitch for dark mode was all wrong. The real payoff has been now that nobody can sleep <laughs> three exactly. night anymore. When you wake up for no reason at four in the morning, you can flip on dark mode and check your email without, you know waking up your spouse. So that's a great exactly feature right. that I wish we didn't have to use. Well, getting past all the Apple, you know, uh, uh, the, the Bafo like special effects. Yeah. What, were, what were the big two or three takeaways you had at the event of the event? So first of all, how well Apple has done with smartwatches. I will admit I was a little skeptical when they first debuted the Apple watch and there was all this fuss. And then in practice, you'd realize, oh, yeah, it does all these things, but it has the, these tiny apps that you can't really use. And it doesn't actually show the time unless you raise your wrist in the right way. Uh, but Apple sort of incremented, which is what they do, updated it, worked on it, extended the battery life, used the fact that they can, you know, order up whatever chip they need and latched on to health tech as the sales pitch that would really make this work. Even before they had the, you know, the, the sales boost, nobody wants a global pandemic. Right. Well, that was interesting too. I mean, they were they were clear that now with adding, you know, uh, measuring blood oxygen levels, yeah, that gives you some insight into. They didn't say well, obviously it was going to cure you. My Apple Watch, watch if you want to live. If you want to live, exactly. That's probably the way it kind of came across. But you know, what's always impressed me, and you and I have talked about this before, is that Apple does such a great job before they even introduce the products themselves. They really want to make sure the um, the consumer understands how credible credible they are from a health device standpoint you know so they've signed yeah. up some really substantial you know um medical organizations you know um, they've got a relationship with stanford i mean it's probably as long as my arm in terms of parties who are um involved in their uh, their health initiative not to mention which they actually have doctors on their staffs right by the way that's not and that's not a doctor that's real real, real medical doctors so that to me is, was very interesting, but certainly they have doubled down on health in a big way. You know, measuring uh, blood oxygen levels is going to be a, is going to be a significant deal. Um, you know, of course, they had a short a video during the presentation on a, on a woman with uh, diabetes. If I, I recall, yeah, yep. I mean, and she talked about how wonderful it's going to be able to help her manage that uh, condition. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I you know, you you, you really you really got to kind of be excited about really taking that the the the, the simple watch. And now expanding it to beyond just you know messages, a communications device. I mean, it really. And we haven't even gotten into the, into the health kick, right? Fitness. Uh, that I, I, I want to get your impressions on the whole fitness plus angle. Yeah. So the other thing that strikes me about the, the focus on the Apple Watch is the, this health tracking computer strapped to your wrist. This is a case where Apple's focus on privacy really intersects 
very well and appropriately with what they're trying to sell. Because the, the privacy case for, oh, you know, the notifications from your, your IM client show up on your watch, that's not a huge privacy risk because you're in a chat with the other person. They know what you're up to. Right. But when it's your actual pulse, medical data that is picking up directly from your skin, you want to know that's protected. And Google, you know, they're trying to buy Fitbit. That's going to be a problem for them because they, they can't say privacy has been our product. We, we take pride in how little data we actually extract and how much we throw away. Apple can well, make that sales pitch. And they went out of the way to point out things and things that pe might, some people might think are mundane. For example, um, uh, the calories that you burn in a particular exercise, they're not going to share that information. That information is yep. on the device. And personally, uh, Rob, as much as I like you, I really don't want to know how many calories you've burned uh, using your elliptical. Well, people worry about it. You know, if, <laughs> if you had a, a, a smartwatch non-optimized for privacy, it would say, it would know that you've, you went on a bike ride, you burned a thousand calories. The uh, Yelp app on your phone would say, hey, treat yourself, get a second slice of pizza. You yeah, and by the way, with geolocation, and by the way, there's a pizza place right around the yes, right. only 50 feet away. Uh, yeah, but no, that, 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 I, you know, we made jokes about that, but you know, Apple's um, focus, and it's been for many years on being best in class when it comes to privacy, I think it's gonna pay off as they yeah. develop the uh, uh, iPhone, uh, the uh, Apple Watch into more things just beyond you know, just beyond using it as a communications device. And they get into health, especially when they get into health. When this really becomes a device that can measure a number of things, not just your heartbeat, but heartbeat, your blood oxygen levels, um, yeah. uh, sweat, that, that um, sweat detection, which they can, there's things you can do with that to uh, ascertain, you know, imbalances in your, um, in your regimen. I mean, there's a lot of different things they'll be able to extract over time as the watch becomes more sophisticated. So, um, yeah, so I think the privacy thing is going to pay off for them, yep. you know. Um, uh, the other thing I think was a big deal, you know, from a business standpoint, they're offering a low-cost model. You know, they're expanding their footprint. Yep. Uh, maybe it doesn't have all the bells and whistles as, as the six does, but uh, uh, they are obviously recognize that they want to um, get to a larger uh, TAM, you know, from a um, market yep. appeal standpoint. And then the thing that I think that probably will be appealing, not to me because I'm single, but it certainly might be appealing to you because you do have a family, is that family sharing feature. Let's, let's right. talk about that. Yeah. So the idea is uh, Apple at some point noticed that, hey, if, if, we, if, we need, if we're going to make everyone buy an iPhone to pair an Apple Watch to it, that's going to hold us back a little bit. And so in the same way that they eventually realized maybe we don't want to force every iPad owner to have a real computer to set it up with, so that now you have this option where you, the parent, you have an iPhone, you can then buy an Apple Watch for each of your kids, although it's got to be an LTE-enabled model, so that's more expensive and you got a monthly bill. Uh, your kids each have their own phone number. You can see where they're at from GPS on the watch. You can uh, set the watch in do not disturb mode so they can't actually see chat pings or whatever. And apparently the, the watch face lights up and it was like a yellow color or beige or yeah. something. So mm -hmm. presumably their, their teacher or babysitter, whoever can see that, oh yeah, okay, right. They should actually be doing schoolwork now. Now, now just using you as a, as, a, as a sample, a sample of one, which is always dangerous when, you, when I ask this question, the, the fact that now you, they're, they're, they're going down this path where they really want to unhook the, the Apple Watch from having to have a phone on a one-to-one -one basis. That's really what the family sharing feature allows you to do. You can add more phones, more watches, I'm sure, to the family without it being paired directly to on a one-to-one -one basis to a phone. Do you think that in your case, you would be more 
willing to get an Apple Watch for one of your kids um, before you get them a phone? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there the, the issue is that? more not so much the complexity of the device, but the the cost and the, the odds of it getting you know cracked or smashed. Uh, I will say I like the trend of you know untethering untying the watch from right. the phone, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also saying that as an Android phone user because the the Android watch options are pretty bad. Samsung's doing good work, uh, and that's kind of about it in the U.S. I know uh, I was talking to our friend Avi Greengard with the uh, analysis firm Texponential the other day. And he said, you know, Huawei's doing great work. Not that that matters to us. Um, so it, it's bad that Google put all this effort into this category a few years ago and then didn't think to check to see if, you know, there'd be an adequate supply of increasingly more power efficient smartwatch chips from Qualcomm. That hasn't happened. Uh, Samsung doesn't have the problem because they can make their own silicon the same way Apple does. So it's weird that the one company that's doing really well with this is also the one that's a little pricier and a little pickier than the rest of the tech industry. Yeah, no, that's an interesting observation. Um, the, the one thing that, you know, did, but they didn't talk about it at all during the, um, uh, during the announcement event yesterday, but they didn't talk a whole lot about battery life on the watch because yeah. the, one, of the, one of the challenges with the Apple watch and all most watches, but particularly the Apple watch is you really get about a day charge out of it. You know, yeah, you can get all, you know, more than, if you just want time and because it goes into this reserve mode right, yeah. you know, and it lasts for a long time. But, you know, my challenge with it, and I suspect I'm not the only one, is that if you really want to use it as a, a helpful sleep monitoring device, you have to wear it all night. And unfortunately, I charge it at night. You know, yeah. I just charge all I, I guess you need one you can quick charge while you're showering and brushing your teeth and whatnot. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, I guess that isn't. No, I thought you were going to say, I, I thought you were going to say, Mark, you should buy two Apple Watches. You should have one <laughs> when you're sleeping. One. That, that is what Apple wants you to do. You know, that, that could be exactly. I'm sure Tim Cook would love that, you know, two for one. Uh, but no, I, I guess the point I'm making is that it, it, for me, until they get the battery life to last, you know, two, three days, using it as a sleep monitoring device is challenging. Yeah. Because the only way you can do that is you have to have it while you're sleeping. So, Yeah. I mean, that does make me think that there, there should be room for something that's not quite, not, not a feature watch, since that would just tell time. Right. One that, that really pairs it down to basic health tracking stuff, tells the time. And, you know, I, I guess the message triage is done on your, your phone somehow. So you only see the messages you actually care about, not, you know, the latest marketing email from, you know, Brooks Brothers or whatever. Dating yourself, Lux Brothers. That's some reference. Yes, I, very much. So. I would have used another reference, but that's okay. We'll, we'll give I'm you an East Coast guy. <laughs> I would say Joseph Banks or something like that. <laughs> well, that, those two. They've, yeah. got They've got out of business. They're, they're even worse with the marketing emails. Exactly. I never figured Joseph Banks out. You know, you could buy five suits for $99. I don't understand how that business model works. They make it up in volume. It <laughs> up in volume. Um, so yeah, let's so let's turn our attention to the iPads because there was iPad announcements. Um, yep. They uh, they refreshed their you know their entry level model, and they refreshed their iPad Air, which is kind of their bleeding edge model. Although they didn't they didn't refresh the um, uh, the real the the, 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 the pro form factor, the large one. What were your initial thoughts? Were you, were you jazzed? Kind of business as usual. Oh, I, my reaction was kind of meh about the 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 new iPad iPad, aka eighth generation iPad, where you know, it's, it's the, the logical update you'd expect, but it's no big deal. The iPad Air was more interesting to me for a couple of things. Number one, 
Uh, you know, here I've got my iPad mini in front of me. They managed to figure out how to fit a touch ID sensor into the little power button at the top, right. which if they can put that into the next iPhone, which I don't know, because design on that hardware would have started way pre-pandemic, would solve the problem that we all have these phones that are no good with their faces covered because yep. the facial recognition does not work well enough for that. Uh, I don't know if we're going to see that. It would be great. Yeah. It would be great. You know, you're wondering if they're walking away from Face ID, which is a more expensive capability for them to have inside a... Um... Honestly, I think they should, given that I don't think we're going to stop wearing masks. I think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone in Asia who's had the practice of wearing masks on like subways during flu season, they, they were onto something. We should have been paying more attention to that. Well, so... well certainly if they, if they move to a... Um a biometric touch capability on the button, on the power button, which is challenging because it's very, very small. Yeah. And it's, probably, and it's probably smaller than the one on the iPad Air. If they could somehow pull that off, um, you know, the other advantage that gives them is they can throw out that cutout on the screen. Yeah. Which, you know, a lot of, that's bothered a lot of people. Certainly it's bothered developers because you know, so your, your app is sometimes cut off by that, that portion of yeah. the screen. So that could be interesting. Um, yeah, so the other thing that struck me about the new Air uh, well, actually, two of the things. One is the amount of time they spent talking about the A14 processor on it in, in a way that made me think, you know, th this is this is an appetizer for the marketing pitch we'll get when you have the first Mac with Apple Silicon sometime between now and the end of the year, which I would like it to be a Mac mini. I'm sure it will be disappointed in that wish because <laughs> Apple just doesn't want me to buy a new desktop from them. But whatever it is, uh, we know what Apple sales pitch will look like from what we just heard. Uh, and the other was the Air switched from using a lightning connector to using a USB-C connector, making it even more impossible for, to decide when Apple is just going to rip off the Band-Aid, acknowledge the inevitable, and kill the lightning cable finally, so we can all just buy one charger that'll recharge every device we have. But leave it to Apple um, to, to be able to take a pitch where they remove, a, they remove something. And I agree with you for, for the, the, the complexity argument that you bring up, you know, lightning, USB, yeah. you look in your closet, you've got a million cables. So I get that. But at the end of the day, you know, you go out and buy an, uh, you go buy an iPad, which is an expensive item, and you don't get a power, you don't get a, um, a USB adapter with it, charger, I should say. Right. And they pitched it as, well, you're doing your pitch for the environment, you know, so only Apple could say you're not getting something. But because you're not getting something, you're actually, you are giving something back to Mother we're, Earth. We're giving you less because we care. Yes. So yeah. that's it's delicious. I, that's delicious marketing. Course, there's always the chance Apple being Apple, they will just get rid of the port entirely and say, oh, sync will only be over Wi-Fi and charging will be wireless, which would, would be sort of the most Apple way of... Oh, that's going to happen one day. That's a, that's a simple podcast. Yeah. There are wireless charging, short range wireless charging technologies out there. But they're not as robust, of course, as being yeah. plugged in, and there's other issues with it. Um, yeah, and you know, you know, my thing, you know, I, I hate to use the word, you know, lukewarm. I mean, I, 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 you know, I thought the amazing stat they threw out there was 53% of people who buy an iPad are new to the iPad. Um, yeah, which was an, that's, that's higher than expected. Stat. Yeah, that's an intriguing stat. Um, the um, thing that was interesting to me is that they continue to position um, um, iPad as a very credible alternative to a traditional, traditional PC. I mean, they've made a number of enhancements in iPad OS. They've added trackpad support, you know, with the right accessory. They've added um, uh, um, a mouse support. 
New York yep. now can do, uh, they have virtual, um, not virtual, but multiple windows. You know, it's more like a, a real bl full blown operating system. There is one feature that they don't have, which I want you to talk about because, you know, you've been, you know, you, you've brought this up to me multiple times because you have multiple parties in your family that, that would love to use a single device and you just don't want to give it to them uh, for a whole bunch of different reasons. So let's talk about that. Kids mode, where is it? So this is something, I mean, Microsoft had this nailed in like 2012 with the kids corner feature of Windows Phone. You press a button and you, the, the device enters this sort of special single user account where only designated apps are available. Your data is walled off, your notifications don't show up. So when people inevitably yell at me at, on Twitter, uh, my kid doesn't have to see it. Uh, and Apple's attitude seems to be that I should buy another iPad for my kid. Well, no, if she's gonna get her own tablet, it'll be a, a Kindle Fire uh, Kids Edition from Amazon because it's way cheaper. And you know she doesn't actually need all the processing power that's on this thing, as long as it runs the handful of apps she needs. I don't know why Apple isn't addressing that when you've got multiple user profiles on the Apple TV. So why not on this other device that, especially this year, I'm sure kids have been asking their parents to borrow way more often than before because you know no one's leaving home as much. You as know, it, it's not a technically hard feature to your point. Um, it's it, and it, to me, it would seem to it would expand um, the value proposition in a pretty significant way. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be so cynical to think, well, if we add that, people will be buying, be buying less iPads. You know, I'm, I'm not that cynical. I think Apple will figure out a way to sell more crap to us. That's going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if I would want to chalk that one up as an objection. But yeah, it is kind of, it is odd they haven't added that capability. And there are times, I mean, how many times have you had your phone with you and someone's yes. going to borrow your phone to make a call? And you might yes. have some information on the phone that you don't necessarily want to give to somebody, whether it's text messages or emails or whatever, uh, that, that, you know, that you may not necessarily want, even a close friend, you may not want them to see what's on your phone, you know? Yep. So that is an interesting feature that I think that I, I have to believe that's on their radar in the, in the Yeah, company. it should have been a while ago. I just, you know, when, when they didn't talk about it at all at WWDC uh, in July, I'm like, this isn't happening. You know, if they don't mention the feature, Oh, that, no, that's a feature that we'll, we'll get um, visibility yeah. at a WWDC. So you, I guess you'll have to wait till June of next year. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, last question, though. Where are you? Where is uh, your head on the whole iPad as, a, as a, a notebook replacement, portable replacement? So it's interesting. I, I did a couple of pieces for Wirecutter. It's going back like three or, oh God, I can't even tell when this year started, but... <laughs> let's say several years back, a few years back about, you know, how did like the iPad Pro rate as a laptop replacement? And at the time, number one, the issue is once you buy the, you know, the sturdy keyboard that also mounts it so it stands upright as a laptop, uh, you're approaching a laptop's cost. Uh, and you still don't have things like just getting data physically on and off of an iPad. You can't just pop in a flash drive the way you normally could lots of basic stuff like file transfer from one device to another is harder than it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you know, yes, things are simpler. You know, I, you know, the, there's less maintenance overall with an iPad than with uh, even a MacBook Air. So that's an advantage. Uh, you know, you can actually touch the screen on the iPad and it does things. Whereas on the, the MacBook Air, it just collects fingerprints. Yes. Uh, and it's been really interesting to me to see how Apple and Microsoft have responded. Apple is making its tablets more like a laptop 
I guess because it can, Microsoft has to make Windows more of a tablet-friendly OS because it tried to play in the tablet space and Windows Phone, Windows Mobile went nowhere. Mm -hmm. So instead, it's been doing really great stuff, I think, with Windows. So you can take your laptop, flip the screen around. It's a slightly heavier tablet. Suddenly, you can actually you know, use it on the tray table of an airplane whenever we all get back to experiencing that. Uh, and Apple thinks you know, the laptop is saying the screen opens this far, and that's it. Yeah, you know, you know what's intriguing is that you know Microsoft may get another swing at the bat um, now that foldable designs are coming down the road because that's going to open up a whole right. new, new, you know, interesting uh, uh, opportunities. And uh, you know, I, I've spoken to a number of, a number of people that, you know, if you look at what you know Microsoft is doing with the Surface Duo and other types of form factors, and that's, that's going to take years for that to kind of cement and 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 yeah. ensconce with some people. But I do think that the, um, the, the foldable element, where, where there's two, you know, two screens, a, 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 a clamshell notebook that folds that can go backwards and you have two displays yeah. on either side, whether it's, you know, uh, it's a single LCD that can fold that essentially just is more economical from a real estate standpoint when you put it in your pocket, that's gonna open up a number of different interesting opportunities. And I, and I have to believe Apple is looking at that space as well, you know? Yes, you know, one so would think. We'll never know until they announce it. Until they pull the trigger on that. But uh, now this has been really interesting. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the non-news was they didn't announce new iPhones. Uh, but that certainly will be coming in, in October. Um, before we sign off, what's your, what's your take on 5G? Will you be upgrading to a... Uh, I will not. So the, the more I've looked at it, the, the more I've concluded that for most people, this is not any kind of must-have feature. Um, on the one hand, you have the, the kinds of 5G that are being sold. The millimeter wave stuff that Verizon has is really, really scarce. It is not just the one, Which is the variant of 5G that you want, by the way. Parts of the got, block, yeah. But it's got downsides um, with it, of course. Yeah, the, the most, the, the stuff I'm most bullish about is the mid-band 5G that right now only T-Mobile has. Verizon and AT&T are buying up Spectrum so they can offer that as well. That will have better speed than the low-band 5G they have right now, which... My friend Sasha Sagan at PC Mag calls more like 4.9G <laughs> and will not have the, the really horrendous range problems of millimeter wave 5G and should have enough capacity to allow it to be a form of residential broadband. Because there's so many people right now, including, I mean, I'm across the Potomac from DC. Uh, in Arlington, we have Verizon and Comcast. In Alexandria, like three miles that away, they only have Comcast or Verizon DSL if you want to kick it old school. So lots of people would like competition and 5G could do that. And the other thing is I had a really great conversation with uh, Qualcomm's president, Cristiano Amon, for Fast Company uh, two or so weeks ago, uh, right after his big uh, talk at IFA, the, the tech show in Berlin we did not go to. <laughs> One of the perks of American citizenship these days. Uh, and I was sort of trying to pin him down on what, what is mass market 5G going to be like? Economy class 5G. And he basically said, for the phones that'll be in the billions of users and coverage that'll get to most people, it's not going to be millimeter wave. Right. Even though they, they lead off all their pitches with that, it'll be low band and mid band. Right. And you know what? That's fine. Let's not obsess over you know, the, the, the business class 5G that may be great, but is not going to be reality in most of our lives for most of the time anytime soon. I love your airline travel analogies. You know, I, they're, I miss they're perfectly suited. 
Well, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting, the only way I, uh, way I would conclude the podcast is that, you know, the, the, these new phones are going to be very expensive when they come out. Yes. Um, they will certainly be 5G. It will be interesting to see what variants of 5G are built in the phone. Hard for me to believe that Apple's going to come out with a, uh, a $1,500 5G phone that doesn't have millimeter wave, scarce as it might yeah. be from a coverage standpoint. Um, but, you know, we're in a pandemic, you know, and while people are saving a lot of money, uh, it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how well the, uh, the Apple brand stands up to is it can it overcome, you know, do you really need that $1,500 5G yeah, um, I iPhone. Say, no, not not this year. Well, we'll the, the iPhone SE though looks like a great bargain. That's going to cause a lot of problems for Android vendors this uh, this holiday season. I bet it will be very interesting to see. But listen, Rob, Rob thank you for participating in today's podcast. Uh, thanks to the more uh, insights and strategy audience for listening in, in today's podcast. Please follow us on our usual social media partners. That's Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week. Mm-hmm.